0: I'm Jake Thompson, and this is the Better Than Yesterday podcast. What's up? Welcome to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Jake Thompson. I'm the Chief Encouragement Officer here at Compete Every Day and your host each and every week. This podcast is all about talking to competitors just like you from all walks of life, business, sports, fitness, entrepreneurship, more to find out how these individuals made it when most others hesitate to start. Each week we share their stories of triumphs, habits, and mindsets to remind you that your life is absolutely worth competing for every single day. And each of the guests is always about providing value, That you can immediately implement to start competing and being better than you were yesterday. This week's guest is a special one. Darren K. Roberts has one incredible story. Uh, I've been wanting to connect with this guy for quite some time. And I'm glad that today we finally had a chance to sit down and talk. Darren was pursuing his law degree at Harvard, something most people would absolutely kill to have the opportunity to do. But instead, he left it to pursue a career in football coaching. He spent time in the NFL with multiple teams and NCAA at West Virginia. And from there, he's now transitioned again into being the founding director for the Center of Sports Leadership and Innovation at the University of Texas in Austin. He's a lecturer and runs multiple classes on leadership and innovation in sports and in life. Darren's written an awesome book called, called, James, let's start this piece again. Darren has also written an awesome book called Call and Audible that if you stick around to the end of this episode, Darren tells how he's going to give away three lucky listeners a brand new copy of his book. It's a fantastic read. It's one that provides immense value for each of us as we make these crucial transitions in life. Now, without further ado, I am excited to welcome to the show Darren Roberts. Darren, welcome to the show. How are you today?
1: Doing great, Jake. Thanks for having me.
0: Man, I as I told you before we hopped on, I have been excited uh, to get connected on this. I was so thankful you had time to hop on the show this week. Uh, so before we dive in, I've spent, uh, shared a little bit about what you do now, but you have quite the journey from East Texas to the NFL and now to Austin, Texas. Give us that five, five, Hundred thousand foot top level view of of a little bit of your story, and then man, we're just going to jump in and roll.
1: Yeah, so East Texas kid, fifth generation East Texan, grew up in a home where my dad was a Baptist minister and my mom was an elementary school teacher, and then later principal. Thought I was going to be the governor of Texas, so everything I did at the University of Texas, um, working on the hill going to the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, going to Harvard Law, all of that was really directed at becoming the governor of Texas. And then I worked a football camp on a whim back in 2006, the summer before I was going to begin my last year in law school. And that just, it it was like my road to Damascus. I, I was completely Taken aback and spitten by football, I played it in high school. Decided I wanted to coach, and reached out to every team in the NFL. Got one offer from the Kansas City Chiefs to be a training camp intern, and that experience led to seven years, uh, five in the NFL and two in college. So,
0: do, um, do you still have? Do you still have those box of rejection letters from all those teams?
1: You know, it's so funny you mentioned that. I was back home. A couple of weeks ago in in my parents' attic. And so I was looking for them, and I think I'm getting close. I've sort of narrowed (laughs) down like the corner of the attic where the boxes are because I saved them. But the typical, you know, Bill Belichick and um, John Fox and those guys were saying no. And I'm sure not many of them read my letter, but I was just so, so fortunate that Herm Edwards read the letter, picked up the phone, said, Hey, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I've got a gig (laughs) for you. With the Kansas City Chiefs as a training camp intern, which is is just Greek for being a grunt, <laughs> and uh, and so that's how I got started. So it was it was a heck of a ride,
0: man. I, I had to ask and laugh because when I was an undergrad, I sent out maybe 50, 60 letters to sports agents. I wanted to be a Jerry Maguire when I was young. And I still have the box of all the rejection letters for just the few that emailed me back or wrote me a letter back. And then I have like the one uh, that I kept an intern for the guy uh, for a few years working at their agency. And so it's funny looking back on some of that because I can still look at it and get a little fired up of like why didn't you pick me? Why didn't I have this opportunity? <laughs> and and then you see how the path has unfolded and how things have worked out. And you're grateful that uh, they didn't play the way they did. So, all right. So you were with the Chiefs. You, you spent time in Detroit, West Virginia, and in the college ranks. But I love when you talk about your story. And I've heard you share it a few times when you were in Kansas City, because you weren't On the coaching roster. You weren't, as you laugh if you Google the team that year, like you were nowhere to be found except sneaking into a picture here and there. But man, you just were grinding it out for this dream. And so how, one, did you always have that mindset in sports and stuff growing up that you were just going to outwork everyone? Or is it something that as you were getting older and, and being in that moment, understanding the magnitude of that opportunity with Herm Edwards and his staff, that you were going to have to do whatever it took.
1: So I've got to say, it, it's both, both A and B. So for me, I was – in high school, I was the kid who was smart enough to know where to go. I could call coverages. I played strong safety on defense. I was in – an average maybe slightly above average athlete um but my real value add was being able to keep the defense organized and um kind of serve as a leader on defense and so i had to work twice as hard in the weight room i couldn't gain weight jake i mean i was (laughs) crushing protein shakes crushing bananas peanut butter you name it and you know, if I got up to one sixty six, then that was a good day.
0: Man, hey, you beat me! Like we laughed about everything we have in common. I was five eleven, maybe a buck forty seven. Like if I got over one fifty, I was feeling like I was just jacked.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny you think about all those days where you're trying to gain weight. Now I'm thirty eight, and I'm trying to go in the in the <laughs> opposite direction. You know, um, but I just knew I had to work hard. And when I got to the Chiefs. My goal walking into Kansas City was to convince Herm Edwards, the head coach, that he needed to let me stay on for the entire season. And I knew that that was really a three-week commitment for training camp, but I had to do something that was unnatural and off the charts to convince him to let me stay on onto the team. And, you know, it's a very, I mean, people talk about the 53 players that make the final roster. There's a small group of men who coach those guys. And the NFL is not a place that is very welcoming to strangers. So I just had to find a way to get in. So that meant I needed to beat everyone into the office. I needed to be the last guy out. Um, I needed to shut my mouth and learn. You know, I didn't have anything to add. I mean, (laughs) mean, these are world-class coaches, world-class athletes. I didn't have anything to add. So I just Sat in the back of the room with a notebook, took notes, did whatever I was told, and just kept asking for work.
0: Man, I love that. So, flash forward: you got out of coaching in what year and started making some new transitions in life?
1: So, twenty thirteen, we were in Cleveland with the Browns. So, any any Browns listeners out there? Um, you know, first I'm going to pray for you tonight. <laughs> uh, but my family and I, we actually, we we loved Cleveland, but we were there the first year of our contract, new head coach, new coordinators, new owner, and we thought we'd be there for two or three years. And the day after the final game of the season, the owner just walked into a staff meeting and said, hey, I'm letting all of you guys go. And that happens, you know, I, I went home and I remember scrambling eggs, cooking breakfast for my for my uh, for my wife and kids and my oldest son was three at the time he walks into the kitchen and he starts tugging on my shirt I'm like what's up Dylan he's, uh, and he says you eat breakfast? so I'm looking at this kid like what in the heck is he talking about? so I keep cooking I kind of ignore him and he comes back and he's grabbing my leg I'm like what? he's like you eat breakfast? So then I turned to my wife and I said, hey, I don't know what's wrong with him, but I I don't know why he's asking me if I eat breakfast. And she said, Darren, when was the last time you had breakfast with Dylan? And Jake, I got to tell you, I was searching through my memory and I couldn't put a date on it. I mean, I couldn't even remember the last time it happened. And that's when the reality hit me that I had been spending all of my time with other people's sons and my own son didn't know me. So I had to make a pivot. I mean, it was, it was really, it was a life changing moment for me. And I decided, I said, okay, let's, let's take a sabbatical. Um, And I almost gave in. I took a scouting job. Not a lot of people know this. I took a scouting job with the Houston Texans and I lasted for four days and finally said, no, I got to I got to just take a break and get back to family came to the University of Texas in Austin and taught a course on leadership strategy in sports. The Ray Rice episode unfolded, and I pitched to our president at the time a Center for Sports Leadership and Innovation, which is an institute that we use to train our athletes in leadership and financial management. And the next thing you know, Jake, we're having a press conference, and we get funding and and uh, and we're off to the races. So I've been blessed, you know, I've been fortunate to have a lot of opportunities, and it's good to be back and kind of coaching in this role, right? Off the field, but still coaching young men and women.
0: Yeah, and I love you. Just recently, earlier this year, came out with your first book, yes. uh, Call an Audible. Uh, how long were you working on that? And and give us a little bit because it's about transitioning how you went from law into the NFL, right?
1: Yes. So I was one of those guys that if you opened up my my Google Drive, you would see a lot of unfinished chapters and book ideas. And I just finally woke up last year. This was spring of 16. And I turned to my wife and I said, by the end of the year, I'm going to have a book published. And I said, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to Write for about two hours a day for six days a week, and I'm going to get this thing done. And uh, she said, "Well, I know if you're telling me this, then you're committed to it. So let's let's do it." And um, I had a 24-hour coffee shop that I would go to at four in the morning, <laughs> and I throw the headphones on and turn off the Wi-Fi and just and just write. And um, really was was happy with. Call an audible, which is, uh, the book we were, it released in January of this year, been an Amazon bestseller, but it walks the reader from the time that I landed with the chiefs as a training camp intern through that first season. And at the end of each chapter, I provide pivot points which are tips for anyone. And it doesn't matter if you want to go into sports or if you're trying to go into consulting or start your own business. I provide pivot points, which are lessons for people who want to make transitions, you know, best practices and tips that they can use to go from, from one sector or one job to the next. And uh, it, it's been great. We've been, it's been well-received, like I said, a bestseller. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that it's adding some value to some people out there who are going through transitions.
0: I mean I think that type of topic and information is, is huge these days because unlike, you know, you and I's parents and their generation and generation before them most people in their 20s and 30s are going to be jumping job to job, industry to industry throughout their career. Like nobody's really a lifer anymore. And yeah. so having that information to be able to to make those transitions um, is huge. And so I've heard you talk a lot about your transition from school and, and law into the NFL. I'm actually intrigued about your transition out of the NFL and back to this opportunity at UT because... Real, really, from two points, one, from a mental identity standpoint, uh you know we grew up in East Texas. Football is essentially religion out there uh, for a lot of us. We grew up being football players and and then being around the game and coaches and and you just want to be a part of the game that you identify yourself as that coach and so when you were transitioning out of that profession into a new profession mentally, how did you handle that transition? Was there any kind of issues with Kind of identity crisis that maybe a lot of athletes have or, or fitness professionals have these days when their playing days are done and they have to get on with the rest of life. It's a struggle yeah. for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. you know it, there was quite a shift for me. The toughest part for me was actually getting my time back. So when I was coaching during the season, we would sleep at the office Mondays, Tuesdays. You know, those were game planning days where you're putting together the game plan for the next Sunday's game. Um, I was in the office by five thirty. I was out of the office most nights if it wasn't a Friday night, probably around ten thirty or eleven. Um, and so there was very little time to do anything but consume football and. So the biggest transition for me was actually having to find the discipline to structure my day on my own. Um, And I think a lot of athletes go through this because one of the the benefits and really kind of unintended harms of being in athletics at a high level is that you know exactly where you need to be at what time for three quarters of the year. Right. You mean, yeah. you, you know, practice, classes, um, watching film, um, getting treatments like, you know, where you need to be at all times. And then what happens is that once you're out of that world, now you got to find a way to structure your own day. And so I had a difficult time dealing with time. Um, that was <laughs> that was the first challenge for me. But it was great because it gave me an opportunity to really get back into reading and listening to podcasts and doing a lot of those intellectual, um, you know, taking all those intellectual endeavors that I didn't have a chance to do in football. And I went through a little bit of sort of uh, identity crisis in that, you know, I was known as an NFL coach and there's a certain respect and cachet that comes with that. And then all of a sudden you don't have it. Um, but I tell you, the great trade-off for me was that when I When I took my kids to school for the first time in the fall of 2014, I said, I've made the right decision.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I love
1: it. Yeah, this is where I should be because I I would have never been able to do that had I been coaching. But being able to drop my kids off at school every day um, made up for anything that I missed from the locker room or game days.
0: Oh man and and it's funny as we grow and as we get older how those priorities shift of the things that we're pursuing those goals we have that we're competing for and so I love I love hearing that and and just the affirmation you receive from that process. So now we've got you you're at UT you're you're running the Center for Sports Leadership and Innovation. You also have your own podcast a tribe called Yes and and I love that on your website you are all about helping people, quote, jump off the ledge of their doubts. Hmm. What inspired the passion in you to help people overcome those fears and doubts? Was it going through that experience yourself of the transitions and not really having someone to guide you? Or have there been some interactions or key points in your life that you've met people and just said, man, they need someone to help and guide them? I Maybe tell it could you, be
1: Yeah, for me, it's been you know going to Harvard Law School. I was in a class of 550 students, and I went back for uh, an event that was sort of like a reunion back in the fall of of uh, 2016. And so many of them were unhappy with their lives. So they'd gone to the most prestigious school in the world, but. They were living in lives as partners or associates at firms, and so many of them were unhappy. And I kept hearing these stories of, hey, I wish I had just gone to culinary school and become a chef. I knew I wanted to be a chef, but I thought, hey, I'll go practice for a while, and then I'll retire and do it. But now it's too late. So I have I've really dedicated my life to helping people. And not just disgruntled lawyers, because I know a lot of lawyers who who love it. So I don't want to, I'm not disparaging the profession at all, but just helping people really deflate the the negative impacts that they have associated with the next move. So before you make that move, it's always easy to think of, you know, you think that you're going to experience total failure, you'll never recover, and then you get on the other side and you're like, okay, that stung a little but I'm still alive, I'm good. So I, I, I'm trying to push people to the other side and then help them look back and say, I'm alive, let's keep going.
0: Awesome. Getting getting comfortable with the discomfort in mm. hopes of reaching that goal or that place we want to be. How how do you handle discomfort on a daily, weekly basis? Like, what do you practice or do throughout just your daily routine that helps you become more comfortable with discomfort, so that you're able to show others that way?
1: Yeah. So my wife and I have five kids, so we're always uncomfortable. <laughs> um, you know, I always say, you walk into my home, there's an eighty nine point seven percent chance that someone's crying. Uh, everyone's got a grievance, and so. For me, what I found, I have to create a space for daring to operate. And in order to do that, I need to get up early because once 630 rolls around, my house is buzzing in a really good way. But I need that that time to myself. So my routine is I'm up at 430. I'm going to meditate for about 15 minutes. I'm going to take a cold shower for about four to five minutes. And then I'm going to go work out, get the workout in, and then I'm going to write for the remainder of that time up until about 630. So I have to clear my mental space. And here's the thing. I've bought all tons of books on you know, meditation, and I've done Gregorian chants, and I've had Vivaldi playing in the background. Here's what I say. I go into my closet, the lights are off, I sit on the floor. And I just try to think about absolutely nothing. And that for me helps me to lower my heart rate to really kind of moderate uh, the tension in my body. And then the cold shower helps to shock me to get me ready for the, the workout and the rest of the day. And then I'm off to the races. Um, that's what helps me. And then I'll tell you this too. My night routine is that I set out everything that I'm going to need to leave the house prepared the next morning, the night before. So I put out my workout, I mean, pants, tights, socks, shoes, shirt. When I wake up, I don't want any excuse to hit the snooze button or to say, oh, well, but I don't have this. I'll put that out. I'm trying to build up enough of a, of a guilt factor to where my body doesn't go back to the pillow. Um, I, I'll tell you something else that I've done for the last six months I bought ten button-down navy shirts, and they're all the same, same size, everything. And I just wear them every single day.
0: Oh, Uh, taking the Steve Jobs approach—never have to think about what you wear.
1: Don't think about you know know Jobs has done it, Obama did it, um, you know Jack Dorsey. It it has been a game changer because I go in, I know it's going to be a blue shirt. It goes with anything, any pair of slacks, and I'm ready to go because I'm trying to – my whole goal for the morning is to make that an easy transition and to eliminate as many inconsequential decision points as I possibly can, and then I'm, and then I'm ready to go.
0: I love it, and, and you forgot one crucial piece of your morning routine that I love, and that is your Instagram videos. Oh, yeah! What inspired yeah. these people? I promise we'll be linking to his profiles after this. You've got to go watch him; it'll get you jacked to start the day.
1: You know, it's uh, it's funny because you know I love Instagram as a platform, and um, I think it's a great combination of kind of the text and and video and 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 pictures. And so I remember. Before a workout, I just happened to post a 30-second video, and that was sort of my, like, if I were giving a halftime speech to some of my my guys back in the the football world. And I got about three or four direct messages from people saying, you know, that was great. I hope you do it again tomorrow. I thought, that's kind of crazy. I'm like, wow, that's weird. So I just kept doing it. So now I have this routine Monday through Friday. I'll throw up a quote on Instagram. And then after I finish my workout, I will, you know, give a 30 to 45 second kind of let's get this thing going for the day. And really, you know, people like, well, you're trying to inspire other people. You know, all of the great psychology says that, you know, reaffirming those positive thoughts helps me. So it's kind of selfish. I'm doing it for me. And I just happen to record it and throw it up online, so um, it, it's been a great part of my routine, and I've, I've enjoyed connecting with people through it.
0: Yeah, you're uh, you're going to be stuck doing it because now everyone that looks forward to it is going to be like always on the lookout. I uh, I had a buddy years ago make the comment. I used to post a quote every morning, like Monday through Friday, on Facebook, and. I was the same way. Like it was as much for me as just those were positive reminders that I needed throughout the week, things like that, or whatever I was feeling, struggling against that. It just, everybody got used to it. And if I missed a day, I had messages coming of like, why haven't you posted today? What's going on? And so he was like, you you kind of screwed yourself. Like you always are going to have to make these posts now. And he said, cause you've just got people looking forward to it. And so I'm going to, highly encourage you to do the same thing of, of don't let it slip because I enjoy them. And, and it was, it's hard for me talking to you and not just call you coach after watching that <laughs> uh, because that's exactly what it feels like is that halftime get you jacked, ready to go. Uh, so well, I love it.
1: You know, and I want to say so, uh, to that point, because hearing your story makes me think of this. I think a lot of times all of us, we tend to underestimate the value of just putting positive content into the atmosphere. Um, And a lot of times we don't get the affirmations from people when we say something nice to someone or even a simple hello. You know, people will walk right by you. But I've just really learned throughout this process that you don't know. You know, we're just planting seeds. And so you don't know when that seed you plant is going to germinate with someone. It may be instant. It may be two weeks from now. It may be two years from now. But it's, it's our job to continue to put that positive content out there because people are depending. People are looking for inspiration. And that's what I love about your podcast. I mean, it's, it's another way for people to say, I can turn the corner. Let me get up and do this again. So uh, we got to keep going, man.
0: That's right. And and you never know exactly where that person's going to be when they hear what you had to say or what you're saying. That may just be, you know, a thousand people see it, but the one person that needed it gets it. And, and there's, You know, you can't put a value on that because it it impacts someone's life. So, uh, man, all for it, encouraging everyone listening, keep putting out the positive. Uh, So, Darren, before we jump off, I have a couple of things that you've talked about uh, in the past that I just, I kind of want to share those stories with our audience uh, because they they made an impact on me. One is about your leadership class that you teach and and the one that you have where you have athletes and non-athletes and you're taking them through these different topics of leadership, grit, resilience, storytelling, where did you kind of refine the curriculum for that? Kind of what inspired you in creating that course? Uh, Because everything I've heard you talk about when you've talked about that course is like, man, that's, that's my passion. So that those are the things that I just live for because I see the importance of the impact they have on people's lives. And I would have loved to have had a class like that in college.
1: You know, it's, um, I've got to I've got to admit that I'm the guy that would keep Google Docs of random syllabi like I've got a like courses I would love to teach at some point before I die. Um, and as, as I would run across articles or movies or TED Talks, I would just add them to a course that I never I never thought I would get to teach. But, you know, it was just kind of fun for me. This class. I was really fortunate to get the opportunity to start from a blank slate and say, okay, if, if you could create a class that was going to help someone 20 years from now, what's the sort of content that people need to navigate life at age 20 or at age 70. And for me, it came down to empathy, vulnerability, resilience, grit. Those were first just figuring out how to be comfortable with oneself and then connecting with other people and then taking that and persevering through hardships. And then after that, how do I now influence other people around me? Storytelling. like How do I make a compelling story and package it in such a way that other people want to get on board? Um, And then at the very end, we go through financial management, which is a very high level Let's start with the needs versus wants, and let's let's think through that new pair of Jordans that you just bought for 250 bucks. Is that a need or a want? And, and And then you know you'd be surprised at how many people will say it's a need. <laughs> <laughs> You're right? And you say, no, not actually. Let's let's work from there and go into budgeting and credit card management and 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 taxes. So it's it's been really rewarding. I've been at this for two and a half years now, and what's been great, Jake, is people, I've had some seniors who are non-athletes have have um, graduated from UT, and they, they'll send messages back or write letters and say, you know what, that interviewing tip you gave me, it, it meant all the world to me, or I just um, saved my first $1,000, and I'm glad I set up uh, a direct deposit so that I would never see some of that money that I was making. And so it's been, it's been really rewarding for me. And it's a, it's a living syllabus. So, um, I know you consume a lot of this great content and for your listeners out there, I'm at coach DKR on Instagram and Twitter. If you find content that you think would be great for me to share with 18 to 21 year, year olds on this, on these topics, then please share them because I love to add compelling content for them to be able to use.
0: I love that. And and that kind of takes me into one of my last pieces is I, I heard you tell Jeremy Teal on the Amplify Operator podcast that one of the best pieces of advice you got, your dad used to tell you, just slay dragons. Yeah. Yeah. It's- and, <laughs> and I yeah. man, when you said that, like I love that because for me, I'm all about reminding people that without dragons, there are no heroes. And we don't have the opportunity to have this powerful story that inspires influences encourages others without being the person that's willing to take on the dragon um what you know what was your dad I don't even know if you know but like your dad's motivation in telling you that and and as a child, what that kind of started to influence and do to you
1: you know it, it, my dad you know he was um, he was both my best man at my wedding. And also he officiated my wedding. Um, So he's very special to me. And I think for him, you know, his great grandfather somehow found a way to accumulate 153 acres in East Texas in 1870, just five years after the end of the civil war. And we don't know how this black guy in East Texas gets that much (laughs) land Right. You know, it's just it's still a mystery, but it's always been something that's motivated all of the all of the the people before me and my family. And I think he was every morning when he would drop me off for school or before he would leave the house, he would say that to me. And I think he wanted me to know that, hey, if you want to be the best, but if you also want to get if you want the platform to really impact lives, then you need to go out there and take down some dragons. You're going to have to fight some things that are bigger than you, that are stronger than you, that have been around longer than you have, in order to get to where you want to go. And I, I tell my kids the same thing. In fact, it's funny they they now will they they already know before I open my mouth. You know, okay, yeah, Dad, we're going to go slay some dragons today. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, we are. But uh, it's just a great reminder that you got to take on those challenges to get to where you want to go.
0: Awesome. Dude, I, I love that. So, on that same line, do we have the itch again to run for governor at any point? I mean, you're there in <laughs> Austin already.
1: Let me tell you, I think Hillary Roberts, my wife, may have an issue with that. So, <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to reserve commenting on that. Uh, I don't see that in the foreseeable future, but. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll see.
0: I mean, she's had preparation with you in the NFL. At, like the time commitment, it's got to be about the same equivalent, maybe, maybe yeah. a little less. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Darren, what are you reading these days? What are you kind of diving into? What book or books are you currently working through or have just finished that that you would recommend other people to check out?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's interesting you, you mentioned that because uh, the book right now that's really helping me is Designing Your Life. And Designing Your Life is a book that's written, co-written by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, both professors at Stanford. They teach a course that is the most difficult class to get into at Stanford. And what it is, is it's taking a design approach to building out your ideal life. And so they take these students, take them through an intensive semester where you have to create different versions of your future self and then sell that to your peers and really critique why it is that you're taking a particular path in your life. So designing your life for anyone who's really interested in being intentional about the way they build their next steps, I think that this is a great book for you to start with. Um, There's a book that I have been rereading. I'm on my fourth my fourth run. It's the power of habit. Mm -hmm. Um, Charles Duhigg. Every time I read this book, there's another nugget that, that really comes to me. So, um, that's one that I would recommend for people to read as well. And finally, you know, I've, I've had this book, um, things a little bird told me by biz stone, who was co-founder of Twitter. Um, Talks about sort of the, the founding days of Twitter and challenges. And that's one that I'm kind of peeking at a little bit as well. So I would say definitely number one recommendation, Designing Your Life, Bill Burnett and Dave Evans.
0: Awesome. And I'm going to throw in Colin Audible for everyone listening as well. Uh, Darren, man, this has been such an absolute blast. For people that want to connect, I know you gave us your Instagram, Twitter. Uh, What's your website? How can people reach out, say hi? I know we're going to link to everything in the show notes, but how do you want people to reach out and say hi?
1: Absolutely. So my website is coachdkr.com. If you want to contact me, there's a form there. Contact me there. But also, I am coachdkr on Instagram, on Snapchat and Twitter. So, Coach DKR, send a message to me. And actually, now that I'm thinking about this, Jake, when you air this, the first three listeners who send a message to me on either Snapchat, Twitter, or Instagram, Coach DKR. And all you have to say is, life is worth competing for and call an audible. I will get your address and I'll send out three free copies to your listeners. So I hope to connect with you uh, on, on social media and uh, look forward to hearing from you.
0: Man, that's that's too kind of you. Darren, I appreciate your time so much today. Thanks for being on.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Jake.
0: That's it for another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. I I appreciate you as a listener. I appreciate each member of the Compete community, and I'm glad that you tuned in this week, and hopefully you found some value in what we shared and who we brought on and just all the types of content we're out sharing. So if you got feedback, like I said, shoot us a note directly to podcast at competeveryday.com. Connect with us on social media. Say hi. Tell us you found the podcast We love connecting with new members of the community. We want to welcome you. uh, We want to find ways to connect you and equip you with ways that you can be better than yesterday. Have a great week.